Hi everyone, John Cassie here. Delighted to share with you this first episode of season three of Many Windows. In this season, we're going to be looking at the question of diversity, equity, and inclusion in schools. Now, our lens on this question is going to be fairly specific. Namely, we're going to be looking at the question of how do we introduce more diverse literatures into our classrooms and into students' lives. And we're going to explore that theme by talking to a wide variety of educators, authors, and librarians who have done this work and are continuing to do this work in schools across the country. Our goal in doing this is to provide some suggestions, guidance, and perspectives for educators, parents, students, and the general public on the value of introducing a more diverse spectrum of writers and literature into the classroom to build empathy and the widest possible appreciation for the complexities and joys and challenges of living in the 21st century, not just in the United States, but across the globe. Now, the intention in this episode was that I, as is typical for a Many Windows episode, would join Jennifer in interviewing a guest or a series of guests. But as it turned out, when this episode was going to be recorded, I had a kidney stone and was unavailable. But Jennifer, because we had booked three guests, decided to proceed forward with those guests. And I'm delighted to share Jennifer's conversation with Lucy Bowers, Lisa Dyson, and Lori Pacino on the question of trying to find more positive books to integrate into their classroom. It's a great episode, and I'm looking forward to joining Jennifer next time as we continue this conversation. So for now, episode one, season three of Many Windows starts now. The first thing that I wanted (laughs) wanted to talk about was um, how you all kind of started this process of investigating more diverse books and what what preempted it. And uh, let's talk a little bit, because we've had many conversations about this even in the summer and we were we were all kind of like-minded and came together around this idea that we want more diverse books, but we want them to be more positive and hopeful and not just about um, immigrants uh, overcoming obstacles. Uh, so I was hoping each of you would would talk about uh, that. So that maybe I'll, I might do a better introduction for that as I'm kind of stumbling along on that one. So I do want to talk about that. I also think we've got to talk a little bit about just our whole core novel thing that's going on in our district um, and how that's influenced a little bit. Do you, which came first, would you say, right? I feel like we were talking about doing this before the core novel complaints for, right? For lack of a better yeah, word, came I mean- up. We, well, we, you and I had been talking about how, like, I think it really started, we started looking at when we started looking at the English adoption of the new book, and we're all like, can we get something that was written in this century? Like, (laughs) can we, like, you know, we're still reading the books my parents read in school. Like, we're not even reading, I mean, like, we're not even reading, and the only book from, like, 
the 2000s on our entire list is Freak the Mighty. That's like the only one. And so we that's like the first, like, just can we get some more modern books? Um, and then that piggybacked with the, this complaint. Mm-hmm. And then that piggybacked with like Black Lives Matter and, and you know, how to be an anti-racist and white fragility. And it just made me start thinking about like, and then my, for me, my friend wrote this book and she's a Latina and she said she was, hadn't read her first book with a Latina character until she was in her thirties. And she didn't even realize it until she read one about a Latina and she's a Latina in her thirties. And she realized how powerful it was for her. And, but she, it didn't even occur to her that she hadn't read a book about a Latina. Yeah. And then with the first time she did, and then now she's writing a book from her perspective. But so, and that was like, so to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine never reading a book about a white person, a white person, like, you know, like, what is that? I I have yet to read a a book about a a black Latina. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say I was probably in college when I read my first set of books that had um, Latino characters in the center of them. And they were in Latino American literature class. So, of course, that was why I went there. Like, I was seeking that at the time. Um, so, yeah, I would, mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Let's start by introducing ourselves. Are you guys introducing yourselves? Uh <laughs> And um, I brought you together because, of course, I have the great honor of working with all of you. And I feel like you're such great partners on this journey that I've started on. And I always know that if I'm concerned about something that has to do with kids and has to do with equity, has to do with diversity, or just has to do with kids struggling social, emotionally, I can go to any of you and you're right there with me, you get it, you understand, and we can partner on things that we hope to change. So I'll start by uh, saying we have today uh, Lisa Dyson. Lisa Dyson, will you tell our listeners who you are and just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am uh, our middle school librarian uh, by trade. I'm also an actor by real life. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I've always loved books and I've always loved putting books into the hands of the kids that need it the most. I happen to love reading myself, thank goodness. Um, And so uh, do you want to talk about my journey yet or do you want to wait on the journey portion? You just want to do a quick introduction? Yeah, we'll do quick intros and then we'll talk about this journey that we have been on together. Lori Pacino, you've been on the podcast before. You're back. Uh, So we didn't scare you away, huh? No, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being on it last time and I'm already enjoying it today. Um, So I am a sixth grade teacher currently. I teach social studies in English language arts and ELD. Um, I come from um, elementary school. So I spent about 15, 17 years of my career, first in elementary school, and now this is my sixth year here. And um, I'm a lover of reading. And I think part of it was I was grew up in the Santa Cruz mountains in a redwood forest with no TV. And so we spent lots of time reading at our house and sharing books and reading books to each other. And so that was kind of my background and my love of, of reading. And um, 
I just have really started to see the power of books for kids, especially books that are not only windows into other people's worlds, but mirrors to themselves. And I actually learned that terminology from Miss Bowers, who's also with us today. <laughs> Lucy Bowers. Hi, hi there. I'm Lucy Bowers, Lucia Bowers, but Lucy Bowers is my preferred name. Um, I am a sixth grade and seventh grade language arts teacher here uh, at Jordan and Burbank. And I grew up here, this is my hometown. Um, I've been a teacher for 14 years now. And uh, I'm a first generation American English language learner. So a lot of times when we have these discussions, I have a direct understanding of what our students are going through. Um, I identify as a black Latina and my grandfather is actually a very famous poet in Nicaragua. Um, he's won awards as like equivalent to a poet laureate uh, in his country, writing about what it is like to be a, a black male in Latin America. Um, so that's my, that's where my literary love comes from. We always trace it back to uh, my grandfather instilling that love of language in my mom, and then my mom instilling that love of language in me, and then me passing that on to my students and my own children. So that's me. So I've been so fortunate this year that Lucy is our English department chair, Lori is our faculty chairperson, and so that's been great to have you guys in these kind of positions of leadership. And Lisa, honestly, as our librarian, being the source of all of our books, right? You are all in these kind of positions of leadership around this journey that you mentioned that we kind of all came onto the highway at different exits, but all noticed that we were driving alongside one another, saying, all reading uh, books, trying to read new books that are coming out that are not just depressing stories, uh, but of, of people of color, color or immigrants or, you know, uh, searching for their gender identity. You know, we've been looking at all of these different kinds of books um, because I think we all feel passionate about putting the right book in a kid's hand, right? Um, that's number one. We, we wanna be up to date on our books so that we can recommend books to kids. But we found ourselves uh, with the opportunity to update our core novel list in uh, middle school. And I wanna talk for a minute about some of the core novels that we were reading. I was a seventh grade English teacher here in Burbank. And at the time we were reading and still are reading Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. And in sixth grade, one of our required readings is The K. And I, I never taught that, but Lori and Lucy, you guys both taught that. So we started to hear from some parents in the district, particularly parents of black students that their experience going through our middle schools is just, um, you know, the K and then Roll of Thunder, and then they go on to high school and read Huck Finn and some of these other books and that they just felt disenfranchised. And honestly, the words that the parents used was traumatized. Um, so Lucy, you and I were on a committee together to look at these uh, concerns that the parents brought forward. Um, and I know Lisa was really involved in that too. Could you guys talk about that a little bit? 
Um, first. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, so I'm going to start off by saying that this is advocacy is new for me. Um, and, and I'm going to preface with that because as, as a first generation American growing up here in the nineties, like our, our survival was by laying low and don't ruffle any feathers and don't cause any stir, you know, assimilate and just blend in and get through your school and do the best you can. Right. And so for me to be involved with this whole process has been one of complete discomfort from the start. And so when the parents uh, came up and said how traumatizing it was for them to uh, sit and have their children come home and, and tell them what they had talked about in classes, I would almost use the same word for me going through the process of um, examining these books and having these discussions with my colleagues because I have no, I, I didn't come into it um, prepared mentally and emotionally prepared to kind of deal with these big uh, topics. Um, since then, I've learned how to, how to be more vocal and how to be an advocate, which is, you know, a great thing. And I think it's the big lesson and big takeaway I took um, from this experience was it's hard to stand up and say that something is wrong. And it's hard to, as a teacher, listen to people telling you that the book that you're reading in class and have been reading in class for 13 years traumatizes their kids. Um, that's a hard thing to hear as an educator because it's the last thing we want to do. And it's definitely not our intention when we pick these books. Um, so for me, it was a, a, a big life-changing experience, to be honest. I mean, just how I look at my role as a, as a BIPOC teacher and being a voice for my students, how I frame my choices in the classroom um, and how, how I now feel like I have the obligation to speak up for my students. Whereas before I just went along with whatever uh, we were doing. I, I really do feel like this whole experience um, was kind of life-changing in that way but it was not easy. Um, so I always like <laughs> to tell people like, Lori should have just stayed department chair <laughs> for one more year um, because she's actually more like activist and she's more plugged into this whole thing than I was uh, going into it. Um, but you know, it's, it has been a great opportunity for me, I think. Look at you now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> I think it's funny for me because um, prior to March and everything shutting down and all that, everything happening, um, I had started looking at our library and, and done this weird thing um, because we were heading into Black History Month, right? So for this time, and normally you put out all the same ones, the Martin Luther Kings and the Rosa Parks and everybody that everybody knows just for that one month. But for some reason this year or last year, I decided, well, let me just put out, let me find every book I have that is written by a person of color. And that was all I was going to display everywhere. I mean, biographies, regular books, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. And so I did that experiment for the first time um, just to see if kids would pick those up because they're not usually, you know, it was like me walking into a Barnes and Noble 
and seeing everything I'm used to seeing and the authors I recognize. But I thought, what would happen if I walked in and I didn't recognize authors? So I kind of reversed it. I guess it was the beginning of my change of perspective, um, at my refocus. And so I did that this time and kids were checking them out because they would be displayed, you know, and they just pick them up because if you just pick them up, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not like, oh, it's just a separate little section and it only comes out once every year, you know, <laughs> which is so ridiculous now. But um, so that was the first part of it. And then of course we were off. And then, um, so in order to start thinking about different books and, and as we were starting to talk about what's classic and who decided what was a classic book, um, I went to my friends of color, my black friends, and I said, what did you, what do you consider a classic when you were a kid? What, what were the books you went to? And it was hard for them because they had, you know, their favorites, Roll of Thunder was a favorite because it was the first time they ever saw themselves as a main character in a book when they were, you know, and these are 30 and 40 year olds I'm talking to. So that was the classic that they remember thinking, oh, it's finally something I could recognize as myself. Yet, um, that was one and Bud Not Buddy was one. I mean, so all of the, the those were the, the ones that they remember, but you'd ha they'd have to really go through because some they're not big fans, some were not big fans of Toni Morrison or, you know, I mean, just even though that was, she's one of the ones that is, is considered a classic. So it's just so funny to have them go. So then I got the recommendations, which then I sent to Lori um, of One Crazy Summer Trilogy, which my friend sent to me. Um, and she goes, oh, you have to read this. And these are fairly new. So these are like 2000, so it's not, these are new, but it takes you back to the 60s and 1968. So while we were watching George Floyd and we were talking about things and documentaries were coming up about the Black Panthers and the Black uh, Lives Movement that was happening in the, the prequel to that. So this deals with all of that in a fun way so that you can actually discuss it with your kids, your students, and yet they still can relate to it because it's not, didn't happen like forever ago. They were sort of watching it at the same time. So that's how I started, started my journey on finding. And once you find one book, it leads you to about 5 million others. <laughs> and it's so cool. And I would say I started my personal journey, I guess, um, with White Fragility, because that's what we were all doing. But that wasn't my favorite book. I think I started to find, I mean, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I learned so much from that. Stamped the remix for me because I didn't have time to read the 600 page Dr. Candy stamped. So I did the cheat version, but got as much out of it, I think, by Jason Reynolds. So, so you go, and then that led to more and more and more stuff. So it's totally eye-opening. And it's just, and as a white person going, oh my gosh, how, why, why did it take us this long to get here? So that's where I started my journey and it is continuing as Dr. Meg has seen because she was in the library yesterday. <laughs> And I love it. And kids are, you know, we have a social justice book club now here at Jordan, which is, you know, when reading Kamala Harris's book. So, uh, you know, I think, I think kids are, are getting it. It's, it's fun. It's, it's fun. It's tragic. Roll of Thunder, I discovered was book six in the book, in the 10 book series, which is just, it's, everyone should read it. Everyone should have that whole series at home. Um, it's as important as Roots, but it is definitely not for being taught out of context in seventh grade. <laughs> that was that was what I learned going, oh yeah, yeah, it should be read, but certainly not now and certainly not by itself. So that's my two cents right now. And I'm sure I'll have more to add later. <laughs> so 
Um, I'm not on the committee for books this year, but I was um, department chair for English before Lucy, and I gratefully handed it over to her this Thanks year. Thanks a lot, friend. <laughs> it's such a, it's such a struggle um, uh, of minds because I do think there is this this feeling that these are some beautiful pieces of literature and we've been teaching them. And I, you know, maybe, maybe a teacher feels like they teach it particularly well and they feel that the way that they teach it is, is not damaging to kids. Um, and I mean, I, and I can honor that perspective, but, but realizing that, you know, if there's any gray area, you got to err on the side of making kids feel safe and protected. So I mean, and I do feel that way, you know, so, uh, so many of these books are lovely books and, um, and, and our school kind of got this, I heard from other teachers in, in the district where I live in Glendale and La Cañada saying, oh, I hear that, uh, you know, Burbank is banning books. And yeah. I, and I said, well, you know, I think it's actually the opposite. We're trying to find books that really, um, are more accurate windows into, the everyday experience. So I do think that um, it, it had that, that is really kind of an interesting perspective that it, sometimes it gets taken out of context. But I think what Burbank is trying to do right now is really honor the people that are in our chairs every day and how can we find books that really honor their experience. Um, I grew up in Santa Cruz. Um, I was raised by, well, my stepmom and my, my dad were kind of hippies and <laughs> And so um, they've always tried to give me different perspectives, but I do realize that the books that I had read were pretty much all white male characters. And um, so there was a few different kind of things. I remember the first time I read an Amy Tan book, I thought, how, how did I not know anything about the Chinese culture, like, and, and I was so fascinated and I just couldn't get enough. And I wanted to read more and more. And Barbara King Solver, when I read the bean trees, I knew so, so little about the native American culture, really. Like I had knew these like anecdotes or snippets or, you know, cliche things about these cultures, but I didn't really. So for me, um, I just was so, my world got so much bigger when I started getting these books that were windows into other people's world. And I guess I didn't really have the perspective of how it's, um, how it must feel to never have a book written from your perspective. Like, I guess it, it didn't, it didn't come till later. And my friend, Lisa Flores, who's actually a budding, um, young adult author now, um, is a huge reader and loves all the classics and Madame Bovary and all the ones that I, you know, don't even interest me any, <laughs> but she likes every classic. And, but I was talking to her about this movement and she said she wasn't until her late thirties and, um, and she's in her uh, late fifties now, I guess, um, that she had ever read a book by a, with a Latina heroine in it. Um, and she said she hadn't didn't even realize it until she finally read one that had a Latina in it. And she said it was so powerful for her to have that. And that kind of it just it kind of gave me pause for sure. It made me think, gosh, how how would that be? And so now she's writing a, a story from a Latina perspective of a young adult book. And it's going to be great. And she came and talked to my class about how to write your story and how to write your book and um, so I, I'm loving that this is the movement that's happening in literature. 
And I think I started looking for different perspectives and different books from an activist stance. I wanted to make a difference in the world. So we started with Long Walk to Water and talked about the water crisis and that kind of matched my environmental concerns also with the concerns of um, the lack of access to water for women and how that impacts women. Um, so that's kind of where I started. But I, I never really looked at the perspective that a lot of the books that have people of color in them are written from a downtrodden point of view. And I actually didn't recognize it till I was talking to Lucy about it. And she's like, I am so sick of every book, like having, like, <laughs> like, why don't we get our own, like, why don't we get a Percy Jackson? Why don't we get a Harry Potter? You know? And, and, um, and I, think, was, I think, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. And then I was trying to think like, what? What book have I written that no that I've written have I read that wasn't a downtrodden book? So then I was like, okay, I went to Jen and I was like, Jen, we gotta we gotta find powerful, strong stories that aren't downtrodden. <laughs> I mean, we can have both. I mean, there absolutely there's a place to hear those heart wrenching, difficult stories, but they should also get you know a light and airy mystery or you know exciting story that. That isn't about the struggle. So, um, and I guess I didn't realize that either. And I kind of think that that those are all things that you know. I mean, I, when I, when those things happen, I think Lori, your white privilege is showing. You know, like, and so, but I think being aware of that and and seeking to see the other perspectives is is what we should do. And I think that you know, I always go back to that Maya Angelou quote of "Do the best you can until you know better, and then when you know better, do better." And so that's been my motto. I've been trying to kind of forgive myself for not always doing the best, but I always feel like you need to keep doing the best you can. I think, uh, Lori, and our conversation about that one story sticks out to me too, um, because you know she had told me about this the story, and she's like, "Oh, read this book," and and I read it, and I was like, "That is the most depressing thing I've ever read in my life." Um, and so we talked about it and there were moments that were great. And what, then like, wait, what is the story you have to tell us what book it's called? Is it no lunch money? No lunch money by Rex. Um, oh, I, oh, I my, my over. Rex. I have, well, and, and in my defense, I had said to her, it, it's not the greatest book, but there's this one scene <laughs> yes. that he takes on his teacher. And I wanted to use that snippet because he, he was advocating for himself. And one yes. of the things I teach kids how to do is like, when you're struggling with a teacher, if you're struggling as this kind of, you know, if you're as an ELD student, if you need extra help, you've got to advocate for yourself as a gate student. If you need, um, if you want to try a different project, you've got to advocate for yourself. So I loved how this kid finally advocated for himself. So I did, in my defense, I said, it's not a very, she, I didn't love it. She didn't love it, no. One part. But and it's she, called, and that, free, we'll it's look called it free Lunch by Rex Doyle. Yeah, we have it here. Yeah. <laughs> I got that so one. <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it was like one of those moments where I think it was a turning point for me too, because as I'm reading this story, which it is, it was a hard read for me because it was just too, too raw and had too many parts of it that were like really real. And um, I told Lori, I remember, you know, we, we have this windows and mirror kind of metaphor that we use about books. Right. And I remember telling her that like our windows always face the junkyard in the back, like the stuff that we don't want everyone to look at. 
your windows get to face the mountains, the hills, the beautiful, like the gardens, the, you know, the magical castles and our windows and our mirrors are like reflecting back all the traumatic and horrible parts of our history. And, and like, when I think that, you know, you might read one story in middle school that features a, a Latin family, right? And if that one story is pear in the oven, which has so many, so many really depressing stereotypes. And I understand that it was written about his life and his childhood, um, but that's the one image that our kids get to have of my culture is that there's, you know, all of these hardships going on and it's true it's based on reality however i i just feel like it's such a disservice to our student population that that was the one time they got to see themselves it was you know okay here you go now here's a, a dad who's an alcoholic and a teenage sister who gets pregnant and a possible drug deal going on and someone shooting a gun and it almost hits a child like that's the one depiction of a Latino family that our students were getting to read about in middle school. And that was so eye-opening when my son brought that book home and was reading it as a class assignment. Um, and I was like talking to him like, okay, well, you know, what, where, do you, where do you see yourself in this? Cause he's, I guess our audience doesn't know they're like, he's half Latino and half white. And like, where do you see yourself in here? do you see any glimpses of your culture? And he goes, no, not at all. Not at all. It's like, I, it doesn't, it, my family is not like this. Um, we don't have like any, any of anything similar to any of the characters uh, that, that are just depicted here. And, and that's a shame. <laughs> show show our garden like yeah we have a I've garden been, <laughs> show our been, garden yeah i've been working in burbank for probably 20 years and i've always you know people will ask me as a principal you know what's the racial makeup of your school or your district and it's it's about 40 percent latinx and 40 percent white like it's a pretty even and However, when you're on campus, and I felt this way when I was at Luther, and I feel this way at Jordan, they're all just Burbank kids. They are, their own experience growing up is very similar. It's not that our, you know, kids that come from the Latinx community have this negative, you know, all these negative experiences. And then the white kids have all these positive experiences. They're much more similar. And I think that you're absolutely right, Lucy, that by having our, all of our kids read about all, just hardships of others, that it, that it somehow says something not positive about that culture and the, those people. And I think that's where I started with this. And I'm I was thinking about a book that I read a long time ago, actually. It's The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. Mm -hmm. Such, I loved that book, it, written by Christopher Paul Curtis. And it starts out, what struck me is it starts out and it's a middle school black boy. You know, he's got an older brother. Maybe, maybe he's upper elementary. It's been a while, but he's got an older brother who's kind of cool and he's a little bit nerdy. And then he's got a younger sister. And it's just like, 
normal family relations. He is annoyed with his sister sometimes. He is tagging around with his brothers. Brothers mean to him. It's just like so relatable for everybody. Everyone who's been in a family can relate to this. Then, and they're living in Chicago. And I think it's, Lisa, you might remember this better, but this is like 60s or 70s, right? Yeah, so it, it's sort of, that leads from the great migration portion. So, so yeah, it's, it's hitting after everybody's now moved into the Detroit, Chicago area. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're just living their normal experience, like, like all of us growing up in a family. And then for summer vacation, they go, they drive down to Birmingham. Yeah. 1963. Duh. It's in the title. That's when it's set. <laughs> so they drive down to Birmingham, Alabama, because that's where I think his mom's parents are from. They're going down to visit grandparents. And of course, that's when there's all the civil unrest in Birmingham, Alabama. And he experiences a lot of this for the first time and has this just like, there's such a powerful scene at the end um, where his sister goes to church and there are the church bombings and he doesn't know where she is. And he goes down there and he finds a shoe, a little girl's shoe. And, you know, he has this, this um, moment of thinking it could be his sister and, you know, spoiler alert, it's not, but um, you know, that just, I mean, I probably read that 20 years ago and it still sticks with me. And what I loved is that it started out so relatable to anybody. Um, and so you were, you were in his shoes and imagining it could be your sister. And what if you suddenly found yourself in this position where people didn't like you because of the color of your skin and you were treated terribly and literally people wanted to kill you. Like, I, I think that that was... That was my kind of epiphany. Um, I wanted also, I was thinking that maybe our listeners aren't familiar with the K and I was hoping maybe uh, Lucy or Lori could tell us a little bit about it and your experience of teaching it and uh, in sixth grade. I, I have to take responsibility for roping Lori into reading the K. <laughs> and oh, then yeah. it, and so Lucy talked actually uh, talked me into using it and and I, I actually think it's it's a lovely book, but I do think that we we ultimately chose to take it off of our school list because it was it's um, it does show some um, an, a negative light and it and made kids sometimes feel called out. And I had a student in my class a year the first year I read it I had two black students in my class, and uh, one was of my the one of this girl was very vocal and every time anything bothered her in the book, she would announce it. This is wrong. This is horrible. And I, I really appreciated it. It was, and she's like, I hate this book, but you know, I hate this book. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I go, I'm just going to promise you it gets better. So anyways, it's the story of this kind of this boy that's during world war two. He's, um, he ultimately gets shipwrecked. Um, he's a white, um, what, 12 year old. And he gets shipwrecked with this black man who's in his seventies. And the black man, um, you know, had lived a very different life, um, worked on the ships, was not educated, you know, didn't, didn't read or write, but was a brilliant man. You know, he just, he, he had, it was a, a lack of opportunity, obviously, in, in, during, World, during the 1940s. So 
the boy is raised by a racist mom and kind of a somewhat subtly racist mom though so she doesn't overtly say racist things but you she, with her behaviors and her and her understatements you can see that she's this racist woman and so the boy is somewhat racist because he's been raised by her and then as he ends up surviving on this island with this man he starts getting all of his racial views challenged and by the end you know he grows to i mean timothy becomes his best friend they they grow to be um you know very enmeshed with survival together and um and it's really this beautiful story and i remember this this student of mine that was very vocal i hate this i hate this i hate this at one point the boy keeps mouthing off at timothy and he slaps him across the face and she stood up and cheered the whole class cheered they were so happy for her because finally she didn't hate the book anymore <laughs> um so it, I, it is real so for her she was a that this particular student was very able to vocalize her opinions about it and very able to tell me that this is you know, wrong. And, and she was just one of those kind of dynamic kids that would talk about everything could talk your ear off. But the other student kind of slunk down every time the, the N word wasn't used, but Negro was used. And every time that word was used, I kind of watched him slink down in his chair a little bit, hoping that nobody would look at him. Um, so, you know, I, I did see the two different experiences. Ultimately, I think they both enjoyed the book, but I don't know if they enjoyed reading it together as a class. So I kind of feel like, you know, books like that um, should still be on our shelves, should still be able to be checked out. They're, they're quality books. But um, if any percentage of your population is feeling that way in the classroom while you're reading it, then maybe there's a better choice. But I had it, I was just to piggyback on your, the Watsons go to Birmingham. I read Esperanza Rising to my high group in elementary school. I had like this very high Lexile back when we did star hour or power hour. So I had like all the top readers and I picked Esperanza rising solely because it hit the Lexile level and we had enough copies. Like that was, there was no, I knew nothing about this book. Um, but this, that's why I picked it because I was like, well, oh, it's the right Lexile level. And look, I got enough copies, which, you know, a lot of times decisions in education can be like that. And it was that year I had about maybe 40% of my reading group were Latino and um, they were really empowered by that story and having this pot. And I felt like that was a very positive story. I mean, a very hard situation that the family was in, but a very positive uh, portrayal of the characters really well-written and watching the opposite when, when seeing, seeing the opposite of not slinking down and being like, you know, look at what they're doing and um, how the family came together around the crisis. And, and so it was really empowering. So I saw kind of a, you know, a different posture when that kind of book was read. So I do think I've seen it both. And I love both of those books. And I will read both of those books to my three children. But I do think there is a place to make the right choices for our classrooms that are empowering to students. And then we're also talking about authors. So the authors who are writing these stories, what their background is, because it's the white person writing the story, for example, the K, talking, you know, in the, uh, as the character is the black man, as opposed to a black author who could tell that same story from 
from a whole different experience level. That's what I've been hearing so much from all the different panels I listen to, is that the original, as we call it, the gatekeepers, you know, which we overuse now because everybody's a gatekeeper. But when we first chose those stories, whoever the initial people were, um, hey, it's a diverse story, we can check off that box. And that way we can prove to our district, and I'm not just talking about Burbank, I'm talking about our entire country, that now we have diverse books, you know what I mean? So it's not just, and now that we're past that point, now we know better, we can find equal books, equal award-winning books, richer in experience because of who the authors are and what they have gone through in their own lives. And they are, they are out there. So we really have no excuse not to, not to update our curriculum, not to um, enhance and enrich it because there is so much to choose from. And also because the demand should be there, it never was there. So um, black authors had trouble being published, black, BIPOC authors had trouble being published because you know, the white gatekeepers were like, I'm not gonna buy that, you know, I'm gonna buy what I know. And now that's changing for the better so that the opportunities are there. It's still hard, it's still hard for them and, and they're helping each other out. Um, and even credit where credit is due, Rick Riordan is helping them out and James Patterson is helping them out because they have such controlling publishing arms of themselves that they can get Kwame Alexander, you know, uh, published easier and they can get, um, and they hire them or, or and the new Rick Riordan Presents series, which is all the, the mythology like, you, you know, if Lucy was wondering, where's my, where's my Percy Jackson? Well, now they have a whole slew of them that are all written by that author, those cultural authors who are all American, but they come from that background. So it's not like Rick Riordan's deciding, I'm gonna write Mayan mythology like he did with Greek and Roman, you know, but it's just, it's like, oh, I'm gonna get these authors and I'm gonna highlight them and, and have highlight uh, indigenous peoples. And, and so it's starting to become a trend, which I think, <laughs> I don't think it's just gonna stay trendy and then disappear. I think it's actually going to be um, a force that pushes school districts forward. Um, I'm so excited to be part of Burbank School District to actually, that wants to be there, that wants to push forward instead of just going, no, let's just keep it the same. You know, it, it's an exciting time because there's so much to offer, but we do have to be careful um, and use those authors who are out there and not just the white author writing as that character. Yeah. It's easy to be fooled. I was actually fooled very recently, <laughs> which surprised me, <laughs> but because you can't even trust the covers sometimes. Um, but, uh, but I think it's, it, there's so much opportunity out there and, and there's so much good writing. It's just, whether it's funny or a graphic novel even, there's just so much out there for us to choose from. And then, you know, there's finances, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love it. I think it's exciting. And they still, you're right, Lori and Lucy, both of you, they still need to make, remain available for kids to choose and available for kids to read. I'm a, I used to be a total classic snob. I mean, I read everything to my daughter that was, you know, the Charles Dickenses and the Brontes and everybody. I, you know, I was total snob, but um that was on me. <laughs> and so now I, I've, I've encompassed that. And, uh, and I've learned a lot about certain things that I held near and dear, for example, the little house books, <laughs> which are no longer as near and dear. <laughs> so, um, but it's fun. It's exciting. And I'm excited to work with all of you because you're like right on the edge of all the fun stuff that's happening. And there are happy stories, happy, happy yeah. stories. Mm -hmm. 
I think when going going back to the K, I think and, and just about our committees that we were on, one of the things that we talked about was like taking a step back and looking at the entire K through 12 curriculum and the stories that are being told there and whose perspective they're being told from. And, you know, uh, Lisa brings up an interesting point that most of the people, aside from Rule of Thunder, Hear My Cry, most of the people who are writing uh, about the Black American experience are white males. Um, <clears throat> we have one African-American female um, with Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, but all the other books that were mentioned on, on this list uh, were all not written from a Black perspective. Um, and that's something too that you, I think districts need to take a step back and look. What are your, imagine you're starting school as a kindergartner in this district and you're going through and you're reading every book that's on your list. How many times are uh, people of color featured? In our elementary schools, I, I did the data because I'm a nerd uh, and I found that they read more about animals than they do about people of color. So that's something to me that's gotta be remedied. Um, and it never occurred to me as a student um, it, it, I, I just thought, okay, yeah, of course we're going to read Charlotte's Web. That's that's a classic piece of literature. Everyone reads that. Um, but it, it never occurred to me until my own kids went through elementary school and then were in middle school themselves. And, you know, I, I suddenly realized like, wow, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry is the first time they're hearing about the Black American experience. And it's a doozy in this book. It's not an easy introduction to these topics. It's, it like hits you over the head with just how really trauma, trauma, traumatic is the right word. Uh, life was at that time period. Um, so I, I think that we have, to, we have to keep that in mind. Like kids come in from middle school, from elementary school reading books about dogs and pigs on farms. And then in sixth grade, they're reading the K and then in seventh grade, they're reading Roll of Thunder. And that's, that's hard for them emotionally. Um, so yeah, that, that was my other take on, on the book, The K. It's like, what do they have? What's their previous knowledge coming in? And never really considered that um, maybe reading this book might be a little traumatic uh, coming straight from elementary school. Well, and the other thing that occurred to me that really hadn't occurred to me until I started having these bigger discussions and reading the book White Fragility, um, which I did a book talk with some old high school friends. We all got together and, and decided, you know, that we needed to do this. And so uh, one of the good things that came out of Facebook, <laughs> so we got this little <laughs> Facebook group and we talked about it. And a lot of the thing that we didn't realize is that how many times the story is told from the perspective of white saviorism. So I think that's something we also need to be mindful of. Like, is the story, is a white person saving this person? Um, and that was, you know, eye-opening to me. I, I didn't realize how many books that are, are in our, you know, classics um, that are white saviorism. You know, To Kill a Mockingbird, I, it was my absolute favorite book that I read in high school. Um, but it's white saviorism, you know. So I do think that we need to be mindful on that perspective too. Um, again, now that we know better, we should do better. Along that lines, I don't know if, if you've seen the TED talk about the single narrative and um, it's fantastic. I'm gonna 
try and say her name correctly and potentially butchered and I'm so sorry I should have prepared but the author she wrote Purple Hibiscus which you read in my book club that was so good and Americana I think her name is pronounced Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie if anyone knows better that's but she does a fantastic uh, TED talk about the single narrative and just the that's the problem that Lucy you're talking about with the K and Roll of Thunder. It's just one story, one perspective of the lives of either immigrants or black people or you know uh, Latinas. You know it, if it's the same story over and over, then we forget that there there are all these complexities. Uh, and that's what I think we've, what we've been working on together and what I want to, uh, if we're ready, transition to, um, I don't want to cut anybody off if there's more to say, but I do also want to get to the point where we share some of the, the books that we've read that we are loving and uh, we want to recommend to people. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we talk about that? So many books. <laughs> <laughs> So I, many. I, I, <laughs> we'll go around. Everyone can share oh. a book that they've read and they oh. want to recommend. Now, this is young adult fiction. Um, I would say, well, for nonfiction, uh, Stamped the Remix, I think, is a just fantastic introduction to uh, American history from a different perspective. And I think that it is written in a way that is. Uh, approachable for kids. Um, they can understand it. And it, I think, will give them um, a more holistic view of our country. And I don't think they get that in social studies. That's a whole nother can of worms. <laughs> but um, that would be on my list for, for nonfiction for sure. Um, I have so, I have read so many books. I was shocked at the amount of reading that I've done in the last six months. Um, and I do a lot of it now in audio format. So I'll go for a walk and I'll just put on the audio book. Um, I'm gonna let other people start and see if there's anything left that they leave off their list. Cause I have a feeling we, we got some uh, double dippers here. So I defer. So I'm gonna sneak in before Miss Dyson does cause she's read every one of them. <laughs> so I wanna get <laughs> I don't think too. I've read quite as many. I've been doing a combination of, you know, self-help books this year and uh, and young adult books. Um, so I wanted to say that um, one of the suggestions that I would really make is to listen to these books on audiobooks because they're they're from the voice of the character often. And um, so it's, you just kind of get a richer perspective. So one book that I attempted to read on paper that I didn't actually like very much when I first started reading it is Inside Out and Back Again by, um, again, I'm going to be butchering this last name, Bahana Lai. And it's about a, a, a family that immigrates from Vietnam. And reading it, it wasn't very powerful to me, but when I got it, listen to it on audiobook it was it was beautiful and very poetic and it was just it was a much richer experience so you know if you have an audio app but i really liked that story a lot and i liked um how the family kind of 
explained what it was like to be the first time in a new country. And it just, it really um, was powerful. And then the um, other book that I'm listening to right now also is Flying Lessons and Other Stories. And it's a series of short stories written by all kinds of perspectives. So if you want kind of one of those chances to get a multitude of perspectives at once, um, it's really fun. You know, some stories are better than others, of course, but I'm enjoying all of, of them. And it's just a bunch of short stories. And on that point, um, a way to bring in multiple perspectives, even in the sixth grade classroom, and I've been doing it, is picture books. You know, picture books that give multiple quick perspectives, but just to broaden those perspectives. So today we listened to Hula Hoop, read by Oprah Winfrey, which was you know, the Hula Hoop Queen. And it's a darling picture book about um, the girl that wants to be the Hula Hoop Queen of 139th Street. And Oprah Winfrey does a great job of reading it. And the pictures are great. So also, you know, we shouldn't forget our, our our multitude of paperbacks or not paperback picture books that are coming out right now, too. I'm glad you said that about the picture books, because I think that's a big problem is in just how we the stigma attached to them, that they're just for babies, that they're just little mm-hmm. kids, because there are so many. And I think and you can get across so much more um, without spending as much time on a on a huge novel with several different picture books, with several different children's books. Um, and I've gotten a whole bunch of them now in our library because, uh, and the subject matter is great. And there's fiction, nonfiction, joy, hardship, whatever you want to choose from. And yet you can have full discussions on these um, and learn a lot. It's the comprehension level is, is usually quite high. It's yeah. not, and now, you know, Joe took his wagon, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like a real serious, honest to goodness book. Um, so I think we need to take away that stigma from it, maybe. Because I, I know a lot of teachers are also like, I can't read that because, you know, as, even when I was at the elementary level, they're, you know, it's just, that's just for babies. And it's like, no, they're not. So, so maybe that's part of our education for teachers as well. Um, I've already said um, the, the one Crazy Summer Trilogy is now one of my top favorites. And I just recommended it to uh, one of the teachers at being high for her family um and then uh um i read just read this weekend um because i really know nothing about the muslim community i will just totally say i know nothing about it um and i always feel bad because i know we have a population of refugees and we have you know different people from different places so i picked up we picked up once upon an eid which to Mm. me because I don't know any of these things. I was pronouncing it as once upon an EID until actually I went there and they actually explained that in the one of the stories. It's a bunch of short stories and they're stories of just middle school kids. And it's about 15 stories. Aisha Saeed, I think, um, is the editor on it. And, um, and because now I'm like a total fangirl on Twitter, just so y'all know, I follow all these authors. And when they tweet back at me, I like, scream and squeal like a you know 12 year old girl um but it's it's so good and it's just released and it's like 15 different short stories super short stories but all revolving around how they celebrate eat and what a celebration it is and it's just and i had no idea no idea um and and the good and the bad there's there's a refugee story there's a there's a um, they've moved to a different city there you know but they're all like happy family stories just regular kids, regular stories. So that was kind of an important one that I fell into. <laughs> I was like, oh, now look how much I've learned now. Um, and then for, 
Oh, and then front desk. We talked about this because all three of us have. have oh yeah. my god, we read that too. All, all of us have read that one. Yeah, and three, three keys is is even better in my opinion because three keys then takes us into the nineties and it's just. I mean, it's even funny because Diane Feinstein is mentioned in Three Keys and that she sends a letter and it's just, you sit there and you go, oh my God, you can tie it to today. You know I mean? It's just, it's also quite good. So, and apparently she's got another one coming out. So it's going to be a trilogy after all that. So what I loved about Front Desk is how many problems the girl solved. Like she, Mm -hmm. she was the hero in her story. And I, and I thought that it was just really kind of empowering. Like she had all these different things that came up and she had, you know, she used her, her smarts to solve those problems. So that's what I loved about that book. That's our, our book pick for our, um, I run a diverse stories club, which is different than some of the other uh, book clubs (laughs) that we have on campus. Um, But that's our, our book uh, choice for right now. Like we're just starting it. um, And it, it was neat seeing that uh, the kids were interested almost immediately in the story. Um, yeah, it's so it's just compelling and it's fun, you know, and yeah. you just and you totally relate to it. Um, there's another one that one of the students recommended to me, um, which I then got. It's another it's a two. I think it's a two book one. Mango Delight. So it's set and I happen to love it because it's a girl who ends up being in a musical. <laughs> so, so it was something I particularly enjoyed and she finds her voice and it's so, and it's just sweet. It's fun. It's set in Harlem and it's set in, um, uh, I think it's, and, it, and it's girl stuff, you know, mean girl stuff and you go all through that, but it's a sweet story. And he, and I got the second one cause she goes to Brooklyn, you know, they go off, off, off Broadway with the play, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just really, really super fun. So, um, that was just, and I discovered that through one of our students who had read that. So there's fun things um, for me, for grown-up books. Um, <laughs> I just read The Vanishing Half, which was fantastic. Um, that's my book club book choice. And then I read, I picked this up, The Black Friend on Being a Better White Person. And I know mm-hmm. I sent it to you, Dr. Meg, I think, because I think this is something every teacher should read. Um, it's really good, much like Stamped, the remix. It just sort of talks to you and says, um, I'm not sure, Lucy, if it would hit you as, much <laughs> as it would hit us. I didn't because- read Right Fragility either, so that's okay. You don't need to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't I'm think probably you don't need to read these. I th- actually, <laughs> I was curious about reading them just to see what is being messaged out uh, to the white community. Um, I, I'm seriously, I, I'm interested in that. Like, what are you guys learning about? What is, what's being presented to you um, so that I can have conversations with people who are, you know, reading these books. And I, like the, the title, I, f- I always feel bad. I'm like, I don't think they meant to, um, you know, make it off-putting to us non-white people. <laughs> but when it's called white fragility, it kind of sounds like, okay, that's not a book for me. Um, and and, and you're, you're right. They, they aren't for you because it pretty much shows us what you live (laughs) every day your experiences because you know and on being a better white person yeah you don't need this one don't ask people where you're from like you mean that like where are you from where's your family from what you know things like that yeah touching people's hair don't touch people's hair is that kind of stuff all that stuff (laughs) like and you have no right to say the word the n-word you have no right to ever say the (laughs) n-word and explains why yeah (laughs) i can see that this is why we can say it you can't (laughs) 
Well, so even it, I, yeah, even I don't, but yeah, and they're smart and they're fun. I mean, you'll laugh at, you laugh out loud at these yet while recognizing how universal they are and how stupid, you know, <laughs> we are <laughs> sometimes we just are. So that's, you know, and you've all seen my, how many other books. Oh, I've goodness. I, I have a, I have a few still left. Yay. <laughs> I've been crossing <laughs> them off as you guys have mentioned. Them. Um, so I am a big fan of new kid by Jerry craft. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, yes. I did that as a, a book read over the summer. It was right after uh, the protests had really picked up steam and I ran a, a Facebook group with some parents and I just said, Hey, if you guys want, we can have a little group and, and discuss some of these issues and we'll read this book. And um, the thing I loved about it is that uh, a lot of times books handle like big incidents of racism, but they don't talk about those smaller incidents that you're talking about, like the more systemic things and the things that are more um, where, where you're wondering, is this racist or not? <laughs> um, and and uh, that happens more often, I feel like, uh, than, than the big things. Like in my experience, I have been called the N-word before. I've been called the N-word probably three times in my life. Now, how many times have I had uh, a subtle type of racism? I can't even count. How many times has someone touched my hair? How many times has someone asked me where I'm from? How many times has someone asked me if I'm half black, half white? How many times have, you know, those kinds of things happen. Uh, those microaggressions happen a lot more often. And the book kind of shows that like this kid is in school and all these small microaggressions are happening. And I think it allows students to, to process that and to have language for that and to, to notice it. Um, and it was, a it was a hit with that, with that group. So um, I, I definitely recommend it. Graphic novel. Graphic novel. Graphic yep. novel, very accessible. I read that on Lisa's recommendation as well. And it rings so true because when I first got here three years ago, you know, I did a couple of focus groups with our black students on campus because I had some parents come to me and say, you know, there's this, uh, there's this issue going on for our kids. And so I said, really? Okay. I said, well, it's, um, it's my first year. So I can, um, I can bring the kids together and say, hey, I just want to know what it's like for you at Jordan. Tell me about it. So I had a, a, I brought together a group of black girls, basically all the eighth grade black girls. I met with them and the, and the boys. And one of the things that the boys said to me, one of the boys, he, he, he says, you know, this other black boy and I, we always get called each other's names. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, that happens in the book. Like we're, we're always mistaken for the other or, and we're always asked if we're brothers, you know, and the thing that's interesting in the vanishing half and in new kid is one of the, one of the characters is a very light skinned black person and the other is darker. And so they talk about the differences as well. Um, and actually I, I'm not sure if, uh, uh, we talked about this on one of the podcasts because when I had uh, Donald Durham on, he talked a little bit about that too, uh, falling into that himself, um, colorism. colorism yeah. You know, because I think even the black community, some people in the black community, you know, it just ex it just exists from from history. 
Um, but I want to I want to give a couple of book picks too. Um, I don't know, Lisa, have you read When Dimple Met Rishi, which is um, by let's see, Sandhya Menon, and it's uh, the main characters are Indian uh-huh. and maybe maybe Hindu. I can't quite remember if they're Muslim or, or Hindu, but she wants to go to web developer camp because she's got a great idea for she's into coding and has got this great idea she's in high school and her mom of course is so obsessed about her meeting and in the ideal indian husband and she's like i don't want anything to do with that i want to get into stanford i want i've got this idea for this app i want to create and so she goes to this web developer camp and it's just it's it's again uplifting and joyful and just set now and in this time. I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoyed Clap If You La- Clap When You Land. That's a great one. Uh, I haven't read that one. Uh, I think I got to look that one up and, and see if I'm right. I think it's Elizabeth um, Acevedo. Clap. I think so too. Yeah. Is that right? She's got a couple. I also read, yes, Elizabeth Acevedo. She also wrote, which I read, um, With the Fire on High which is great, really loved that too. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a girl who's taken a cooking class uh, and just like total normal. She also wrote Poet X. People might know her from Poet X, which I actually haven't read. I've read these other two books. They're, they're fantastic, um, positive, but just like what I think kids really do experience, like what you're talking about, Lucy, what kids really do experience without it being set 50 years ago with lynchings and, you know, this extreme racism and prejudice, but there still are these incidents that our kids face. Um, and so I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed those books. What else? Let's do another round. I know. Well, we've got so I, I, I have a, what I wanted to point out is that this year's scholastic catalog, like every year I look and see what's cheap points, what I could get from my classroom library. And the amount, just the sheer volume of books from multiple perspectives had to have quadrupled from the year before and, and maybe even more. And so I have a pile of books to read that I haven't read yet. Um, but I, I was just, we're talking a lot about race, but there's also a big push at the same time for diversity. Um, so I know George, I know that Lisa loved this one and told me I have to read, I haven't read it yet, but it's it's about a transgender student. And then there's these other books, and this one is the one I'm gonna read next, The Insignificant Events of a Life of a Cactus about a girl that's born with no arms. Another one about a, a song of a whale about a girl who um, is, does, is not hearing. So, this movement of of moving towards um, multiple perspectives in terms of race has caught fire in all communities so i think that that's something that we really haven't discussed as much but i wanted to at least you know shine a little light on that there are so many books about all kinds of kids um whether it being different um genders or different um different abilities that are also coming out at the same time that i think is super powerful but the two books that I love that are actually, I think, written for adults that kind of are um, the David Isay StoryCorps books, which he's basically just compiled them, but they're just American stories 
from all over the place. I think he has six or seven of the books. The ones I'm holding up right now are Callings and Ties That Bind that are just one to two page little short stories of just Americana, just a little snippet into um, American life. And what I have found is whatever we're teaching, I can go on to StoryCorps and search, you know, um, Black History Month, I can search something. Voting, I found this amazing story on voting of this woman who lived through the Spanish flu. It was the first year women got to vote. She almost died from that pandemic. Then she got to vote, but they had to carry her in a wagon or something to vote. And it was the first time she ever got to vote. And I thought, wow, you know, like here's this little story that you know, a pandemic and women's and women's rights, you know, it's still alive <laughs> today. We're still talking about these things today. So those two sites for teachers, like whatever you're teaching, you can search in StoryCorps and you're going to find a little story that picks a little piece of Americana that goes with that theme. And it will, you know, you'll get to hear the audio, you can get the transcript and it's three or four minutes. So it's another shout out to those kind of short little segments that you can just pepper through your curriculum and really pull in those perspectives, no matter what you're teaching. If you're teaching science, you can find a story about from callings about somebody who's a scientist, you know, so it's kind of a really cool, powerful um, medium that's a website and also published in books. Yeah, Lori, um, Lori hooked me on those this year and we, my students love them. So we listen to StoryCorps. We haven't done it as much this semester, but they're asking for it. That's how much they liked it. So I, I second that. And I thank Lori for telling me about it because I, I've listened to it, you know, in my car and I'm driving around, but never really thought about the ways to implement it in the classroom. So I loved that. Um, so I have two more books that are not necessarily uplifting, but they're, I like the concept. And these are books that were written by two authors from different backgrounds. Um, one is called Save Me a Seat. It's by Sarah Weeks and Geetha Varadajan. Um, and it's about uh, two boys who are in school together. One um, is white and his best friend just moved away and the other is, is new from India uh, and it just, flips perspectives and each author kind of takes on the voice of, uh, of their, you know, heritage. So I liked that. And then the other one is I'm not dying with you tonight. And that's by Kimberly Jones and Gilly Seagal. And it's the same thing. Um, it has to do with these two girls who uh, find themselves in a riot and one is black and one is white. They're both teenage girls. Um, and I heard the two authors speak at our public library and how they work together to each bring the unique voice to the story, but also make it like a cohesive narrative that you can follow along. I just really like that concept of working together to tell the same story from different perspectives because that's closer to how we live it, right? We, we live in that kind mm -hmm. of dual experience. Um, and so I like how these stories, even though, again, they're not the most uplifting, Save Me a Seat is, is kind of a, a feel-good. Um, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight is, is a harder read. But I, I love that concept of each person lending their voice to the same incident and the same uh, kind of events um, from their own experience. Um, and I have a couple more <laughs> because <laughs> we do. Um, First of all, these are two that uh, Dr. Meg recommended and I've 
forgot to tell her how much I love them. Um, Cause I like the fairy tale twists too. I'm, I'm always like the twisted tale series, but Cinderella is dead was so much fun. Okay. So that was taking Cinderella story in a completely different direction. Um, uh, girl empowerment girl. I mean, it was just, you know, and really, and it turns into who really needs a prince. <laughs> so there's that too, because that's your LGBTQ thing, but it doesn't even really matter. It's not, that's what I love about the new, um, the gender sort of fluid books that are coming out is that they're not just, oh, look, it's a gay person or, oh, look, it's this. It's just, they happen to be. And, and I think the more we get into that, the better off we are too, because then it's not just, oh, just choose this. Um, and then You Should See Me in a Crown was just thoroughly delightful, thoroughly delightful. Um, every bit of it. Another smart girl, smart. She, you know, happens to be black, financial issues, also finds out she's like, I guess I'm going to be gay. I mean, it's just, but it didn't matter. And it, it was just, and it was just a happy, feel good book. It was just, I mean, you know, it's angst, it's high school angst and stuff too, but it was still, it was, it wasn't, it's not pedestrian. It's just really smart and funny. Um, I've been doing a lot of the younger uh, autobiographies, biographies, which are, are usually now written by the person who's a family member either the child of. So having watched One Night in Miami, um, which was also something I highly recommend on Netflix, um, which is the, the sort of historical fictionalized version of the four of them meeting um, Muhammad Ali and Sam Cooke and um, uh, Malcolm X and uh, Jim Brown, right? The football player. So, um, so then I thought, well, I, I have Malcolm X's autobiography, which I haven't had a chance to read yet because my is five million books high. So I got the book, uh, it's the autobiography or the biography of Malcolm X or young Malcolm X and it's written by his daughter. And so it's kind of interesting it takes him up to when he actually meets her mother. And so it's really, it's, it's historical fiction but it still happens around the time of all the stuff that's happening in the sixties. I had no idea what his young life was. I mean, I, part of that whole militant situation for me is I was told they were all bad people by the news stations when I grew up. You know, I mean, if you look at all the black and white stuff and anybody who was Black Panthers or whatever was just awful, like Angela Davis and all that stuff. Well, I've kind of learned a lot differently now. So <laughs> now I'm revisiting. And so that's one of them. And then Sharon Robinson wrote a story about her story when she was 13. So it's her, um, it's, I can't remember what it's called, Chasing the Dream or something rather, um, of what it was like growing up you know, the daughter of Jackie Robinson and how they were the, the rich black family in Connecticut, you know, and, and the only black kids in the school, but still, it, so it was different for her older brother had trouble with it. And then the talk about going to the March on Washington with Martin Luther King, and she was all there. So this is definite, it's a memoir. And it's, it was fascinating because it was just like, oh, okay. So you hear about Jackie Robinson, but you don't ever hear about what the kids went through, you know? So, and, and they're all told from that perspective of 13 years old. So those are super, super fun to read. Um, the tornado is about autism or kids that are different that way. And that was an interesting, an interesting book. It was a fun book. It was sort of mean kids book, you know, the whole bullying situation and how to overcome it. And, and they do. Um, and so that one hit that sort of segment of our population, which I think there's a lot of those now too that are coming out that are just, um, Hello Universe is one of those, Lori, that sort of yes. deals with that. So I, yeah, I just started reading this. I'm just a few chapters in, but what I love about it is that it's got 
four different cultures all wrapped in one. And they're all sixth graders. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it just kind of, and it's this like coming together of friendship. Um, so I'm excited about it. I'm only about I don't know, nine chapters in, um, but it's, it's, it's fun. And it's fun how the friendship kind of meshes together. And I think the nice thing about this book is that you, you it's, it's a great opportunity to discuss like how can you, you know, how we like prejudge the situation or do some of those cognitive thinking traps with the people we don't know, we don't know their backgrounds and how we should just, I think it's a great opportunity to have that discussion of how we should seek to understand people. And, you know, when you don't know, ask instead of assuming, you know, or jumping to conclusions. So I think that this would be a great um, conversation piece for a sixth grade classroom. I would agree, because I think part of what you were talking about, Lucy, with the microaggressions is just, um, I've just got this book and I haven't had a chance to read it, The Hidden Biases of Good People. So I think it's called Blind Spot. And I think that's something that's not bad for us to discuss with students because, they, you know, we all have them. You know, it's the the fat girl at the cafeteria or the, you know, I mean, don't eat that. Or, you know, I mean, it can be big, you're tall, you're skinny, you know, I mean, you're a basketball player, you do this, you know, it's all the, the, the assumptions we all make. And we don't ever talk about that. We don't ever, you know, discuss that head on. We just sort of let it slide or we, you know, if their jokes are being made, we laugh, you know, or we don't, or we feel uncomfortable. I don't think we ever address that. So I think now with our new focus, that's also something and that hello universe would help you do that because it is it's the preconceived notions of because even because all of those four kids have preconceived notions of each other so i think that's even more interesting to see it's like oh you know and then they learn i think that all of these books just really work to to bridge that empathy gap sometimes and i think that um you know that whole idea i know Jen, you and I have talked a lot about how important it is for kids to feel seen and that relationship campaign. And I think these stories are, are vehicles to help us with that, that goal of letting our students feel seen and teaching kids empathy and teaching our, you know, how to hear and see our students. Yeah. And I'll just really quick um, uh, piggyback on that some of the books that I like to read are dystopian fiction, um, you know, those adventure books, something that's set in the not too distant future or alternate kind of reality. So uh, there's a book that just came out called Ray Bearer by Jordan if Ifuko. That's on my list. That is in that genre. And then of course, uh, Child of Blood and Bone, that series. Uh, just, you know, that's what I'm looking for too is I'm looking for more diverse main characters in just an adventure story in science fiction in you know dystopian literature and I'm seeing more and more of that and I want it to just be more normalized and I just want it to be more like our our experience in Southern California of having friends from so many different backgrounds and why isn't that just reflected in our literature well it is now we have to make sure we're recognizing it and seeking it out and not just always going to those things that we read as kids like Little House on the Prairie <laughs> and things like that right that kind of just keep the, some of those stereotypes going but are a little bit outdated now and uh, that that's 
Excellent. Because what I sent you yesterday about the, um, or whatever I sent it to you, the diverse, not calling them diverse. We get to the point where we're, because that still separates them from yep. white being normal. And then we have our diverse section. It's like, so I love that whole idea, which is, you know, because we keep learning because I went, oh, that tweaked my brain when I, when I heard that, because it was funny because Lucy, you'll know this because the school library journal, did you see that the cover of that, right? Which is why white kids need to have diverse stories. It's the, it's the latest cover. And it got a ton of pushback because once again, it was like, oh, look, it's the white kids who need this. The cover was the white kid. So it got a ton of pushback, which they don't think they were expecting because the idea of the article is correct. Because if you're in Podunk somewhere and it's only, you know, or Montana where my husband grew up and there's no, no one of color anywhere, um, <laughs> you have, um, it's, you know, you need to put those books in their hands. But the pushback was like, well, now look what you're doing. You may be saying this. And it was enough for the disrupt text people to get in because they're used to saying it too. And they were like, oh yeah, we're guilty of that too. We need to rethink how we, it's not what we mean, but it's, but now, okay, now that we've pushed this far, now we can accept the fact that we just need to have books because it's not diverse if you just stick it in their hand. It's, you know, I mean, it's just, they're just reading a story, you know I mean? So if we get to that point, now that we're all sort of on, on board with, okay, we need to have representation, equity representation from, from every author. So I, I think that was kind of a cool thing. And it was just like, I'm still trying to wrap my round, my, mind around how to say it but it's just like oh okay another tweak of a yeah that makes perfect sense you know yeah. now that we're on the bandwagon of dei and it's like oh but wait now we can't just use that you know just hook onto that word of diversity now we just have to make it equitable yeah so. but i think that is the next step um i think that you know as as a person of color as a teacher of color it's hard when you feel like so much of you is boxed in to uh, a section of the library, um, a month on in the calendar. Um, the default, I, I always laugh because the default is like white history month is every month, right? Um, you guys like don't even realize that, why don't you have a month, <laughs> you know? Um, because you don't need one. And so by giving me a, a you know, a, a black history month, uh, and then a Latino History Month. Uh, you boxed my culture into a, a month, um, and you can't express what those things mean in one month. Just like you can't express what whiteness means in a month, or what it means to be Asian, or what it means to be LGBTQ plus. Like you can't, you can't express those things in in a box. They don't live in a box. Um, and I think that's our next step. Um, right now, we're still focusing on putting out the boxes so people can see it. Uh, and the next step is to like take it all out and say, okay, no more boxes. Like every book that we read, we're not labeling it as it's a diverse read. We're just reading a book. It, it, it's just normal. And I think we're getting there in our culture and it's a beautiful thing to see. It's, it's wonderful to see a show like Bridgerton where you can see the characters and it's like, that's just a show on TV and it has nothing to do. It's not highlighting any race. It just is. Um, and I think we're getting there. I hope that, you know, in, in my career that I get to see that in the classroom where we are just reading books um, and not highlighting specific reasons why we're reading this. We're not trying to target any audience. We're just reading 
uh, a book that features Black, Latino, Asian students the same way that we pick up Harry Potter and read that and don't bat an eyelash at it and don't wonder about the race of the, of the characters. Um, you know, I, I think one step forward for me was when uh, they cast uh, the cursed child and, you know, they had Hermione as, as, a, as a Black lady. And it was like, why couldn't have this have just been? Like, why is this such a big deal? It, it, it was really affirming to me, like maybe we're getting there. Maybe we're getting to the point where they're just, we're, we're just there because that's how we are in life. We're just here guys. <laughs> so. Well, I was just thinking like, are we going to listen to this podcast in five years from now and shudder from some of the things that we said today, because we all know so much more in five years. So I, was, I just had this moment. I was like, Oh, am I gonna, is this? Cause I think like, what would have I said five years ago? And I, you know, I mean, and, um, I feel like this last year has been a huge growth for me in, in recognizing any of my implicit bias and those kinds of things that, you know, I really didn't think I had. <laughs> like, um, and so I think, I, I mean, I think that it's that thing that you just, you, you we just got to keep growing and we've got to keep listening and we've got to keep doing better every day. And that's, that's what we all need to do. But I, I was having that moment of, oh, <laughs> hope I like this still in five years. <laughs> Well, five, five years ago, I probably would have said nothing. So that's progress, in my opinion. The fact that I feel comfortable enough saying all of these things on the air with people I don't know, and then also saying them with colleagues that I, that I know and love and respect and feel like I can talk about things openly with you and, and not feel scared um, or feel othered or different. Um, that's a good thing. And I hope that in five years, we're still doing that. Um, but if it's cringy in five years, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll have a party, we'll get together, we'll listen to it and, and decide if, it, if it's cringy or not. <laughs> yeah, and I can just imagine, you know, we're always well-intentioned, the road to hell is paved uh, with our good intentions. And just, you know, imagining now uh, librarians somewhere, like a school librarian, oh, a black child walks in, oh, I have a book for you. You know, let me, <laughs> let me run and give you this book with a, a black main character. Like, you know, nope, nope, that's not it either. That's <laughs> that happens in you, kid. And it was some, I appreciated that scene in the yeah. book too, where she keeps okay. trying to, the librarian keeps trying to shove all these like tragic books at him. This is for you. Connect. Yeah, this is just for you. Yeah, this is your story. Here you go. Like that's a miss too. Uh, I think you said it so well. I have one more book I have to squeeze in here because I love it so much. Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson. Is yes. A great yes. book uh, about an African-American girl goes to this white prep school, you know, but she She's an artist and she just does this amazing art and it's, 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 it's so cool. I love that book too. Um, this is a great first episode for this season where we're going to delve in a little deeper. I know we didn't talk a lot about LGBTQ you, uh, and non-binary. There's a lot of books out there. We're going to have a whole episode about that. So um, don't never fear that is on the agenda for this season. Uh, because there's, there are, just like Lisa, you were talking a little bit about it, how it's just uh, nor normalized in 
in the the YA fiction and as it should be. So we'll we'll highlight a few of those great books too, because uh, there are some ones out there that we want to talk about. But I just want to thank you ladies so much. I have such respect for you. It was fun to have you all together and talk about this with you. I know John is sorry that he can't here to participate in this discussion. He'll get to listen to it all and um, maybe maybe he and I will uh, uh, chop this up a little bit and it'll be two episodes and we'll respond a little bit. And I'd like, you know, he can have his thoughts that he drops in. We've done that before. So we might do something like that with this. Uh, thank you, Lucy, Lucia Bowers, Lori Pacino and Lisa Dyson. In our notes for this episode, we're gonna put all the books that we mentioned and their authors and the things that we referenced uh, so that there'll be a complete easy list I certainly was loading up my um, Libby account as you were talking too uh, of books that I want to read. Uh, so thank you all very much. And uh, I guess that'll be the end for today.